1: Discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. On
0: these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on, it's starting. Lori Elizabeth Flynn is a former model who lives in London, Ontario with her husband and three children. She is the author of three young adult novels. First, a YALSAA, Best Fiction for Young Adults pick, along with Last Girl Lie 2, and All Eyes on Her, under the name L.E. Flynn. Her adult debut, The Girls Are Also Nice Here, has sold in 11 plus territories, and has been optioned for television by AMC. Hi Lori, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I love this podcast, so it's an honor to be here.
0: Oh, good. Well, tell us a little bit about The Girls Are All So Nice Here.
2: Yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. So The Girls Are All So Nice Here centers on Ambrosia, Wellington. She is a Wesleyan graduate who receives a letter inviting her to her 10-year reunion, and she fully plans to ignore it. But then a threatening note comes in the mail that says, we need to talk about what we did that night. And she knows it can only be from one person. So she feels like she has to go to the reunion or else somehow the past is going to catch up with her otherwise in a much worse way that she has no control over so she goes to her reunion and she drags her husband along he's so eager to go and find out where she came from meanwhile he has no idea about her past so that's a little bit awkward as well when she gets to the reunion she meets up with the one girl that she knew she was going to see but was afraid to see which is her former best friend turned not so best friend on sloan sullivan who is a very charismatic mean girl who dragged Ambrosia into her orbit, and they did some pretty awful things together. Am thinks that Sally's the one who wrote the note, but she quickly finds out that Sally received the same note, and someone else is circling them, looking for revenge for something that they did freshman year that is so horrible that Am has really not spoken of it since. And then once they're at the reunion, things start to get creepy, and they're being circled by somebody, and no more spoilers than that, but it's
0: uh yeah, <laughs> a lot of twists throughout the book, but the very end was really shocking in a good way. I loved it.
1: As you know, on pop fiction women, we talk about complicated women, which to us just means real three-dimensional human beings who have flaws or imperfections, who don't always make good choices, but who we relate to nonetheless. The girls are all so nice here has a slew of complicated women. You have Flora, Sully, Ella, Lauren, they all qualify, but this is really ambrosia story. So can you talk a little bit about her specifically, what inspired her, or maybe what challenges you encountered when writing her character? Yeah,
2: absolutely. One thing I really wanted to do in this story was to tell a story from the perspective of the bully or the mean girl, as opposed to the one being bullied or the one being victimized. I wanted to tell a story from a character who was a little bit more morally ambiguous, but in doing so, bring to the forefront that I think we've all been there at point in our lives where we've been not so nice to somebody, or maybe tagged along with the mean girls and said some things or did some things that we regret. And I really want to channel into that because I think society has this tendency to put girls in either nice girl or mean girl labels. And it's really hard to get out of those once you've been labeled. But I think it's unfair because I really think everyone is a little bit of both. And in writing Ambrosia, I really wanted to do a deep dive into the head of somebody who does some horrible things. But this easily labeled as just a stereotypical mean girl. I really wanted the reader to get in her head so that they could feel her journey and how she got to that point along the way and how she could possibly do these horrible things. And I think some of the challenges I had when writing her are just making her real and memorable in a way that she didn't feel like a one-dimensional villain. I wanted to make sure by the time her actions start to darken and the things that she starts to do become increasingly horrific, I wanted the reader to be well enough, in ingrained in her head that they could possibly see how that would be something they could do. Obviously, a more extreme case in this book, but I really wanted to focus on that. And I wanted the reader to, before judging her actions, to be deep in her head so that they would feel what she's feeling. And I think that was something that I really focused on. And it was
0: to that end, really smart to have this start at her freshman year of college, because that's a big time for a lot of people. And you're really being tested about who you are, right? What you bring with you to college and then who you find and who you want to fall into. It's a very impressionable and unsure time for a lot of people. So that worked really well to help relate to, I think, a lot of what she was doing, besides you
1: giving her a really rich interior life. It happens to be the exact time I met Corinne too. So (laughs) Yes.
2: It really is such a fraught time in your life. It's so much pressure to reinvent yourself after high school, first of all, and get in with the right friend group. There's so much pressure and especially that combined with being away from home for the first time and not having these parental rules that hemmed you in back when you were in high school. I think that combination can just be such a potent dynamic for maybe you doing things that are out of character for you because, you know, you're trying to fit in with these new people and also to stand out on your own terms. It's a lot going on.
0: Even for Flora, who presumably was a really nice girl, even if you're well-liked before, you're coming into a whole new situation and how will it be received and who will you trust like you did before? It's not easy. But along that line, I agree with you that a lot of times girls are separated into the good girls and the kind of mean girls. And that, especially in fiction, evolves into the unlikable female protagonist with air quotes around it. And on this podcast, we love to talk about them and frankly expose it as nothing more than women who defy convention and expectation. I read something from Ambra Salam, the author of, Belladonna. And she was reading through the reviews of Eileen, Atessa Tessa Moshfeg's Eileen and Emma Jane Unsworth animals. And she said in the reviews, there are just readers expressing their disappointment and horror, even disgust, she said, at how little they liked the protagonist. The quirks permitted fictional women fit between tram lines and span from clumsiness to overprotectiveness, maybe a dash of ambition. But anything outside those tram lines is aberrant repugnant. The structures that socialize women prize affability, accommodation, yieldingness, a desire to please. And there's a certain kind of moral squeamishness associated with female characters who shrug off those expectations. I know for me, my love of the unlikable female protagonist started very young. It was with Veruca Salt in Willy Wonka, the classic. Mm -hmm. She was my favorite character. I thought she had the most dimension. She had the most to offer the story. So I happen to really be drawn to what some people believe is unlikable. But in your novel, you exemplify so many different types of women. And I might like the one someone else doesn't like and not like the one that everybody else likes. So are you also drawn to what some people might deem unlikable characters and why?
2: I just find that there's just so much richness and depth in them. And there's something so liberating about reading a character who might voice some of the darkest impulses that you might have felt and be too afraid to say or admit to because it, not a standard female characteristic, perhaps. And I think there's something about reading that and feeling seen on the page that is so powerful. And that's something that I try to get across in my characters and something that I'm so thrilled that people are responding to in this book, because it can be frustrating just reading these female characters who are quirky, like you were saying, and their quirks only extend so far, and then they become unlikable and in air quotes and people suddenly don't have any sympathy for them anymore. But I think it's so much more than that. I think being a woman is so much more complicated than that and there's so many things that we are expected to feel and act and do. And I think it's just not at all realistic. So I know that some of the characters in this novel act in some extreme ways. But with Ambrosia, I tried to make her descent into darkness feel really real by making some of her characteristics relatable. I think there's all been a girl that we've all looked up to and wanted to be even if you know, she wasn't the nicest person. And I think it happens in this story, and then there's girls like Flora, who are maybe one of the girls who, are labeled as nice, but also has some complexity. So I think every woman has those complexities inside them. And that's why I'm drawn to reading about women who are deemed selfish or too ambitious or unlikable, because these are all things that I love exploring and figuring out exactly what makes them tick and what makes a reader want to see themselves in them. So I'm always just wanting to write things that I think women could relate to or see themselves in.
1: Your writing touches on so many themes that we love to discuss on this podcast. And one of those themes is the idea of being seen. And we like to say that with a capital S. So I was just saying, I was going to read from page 54 of your book. Adrian says to Am, you know, I love you, right? I love you too, I say, instead of my typical response. I know because I do love him. I love the way I'm reflected in his eyes. Marrying Adrian was like looking into a perpetually flattering mirror. He sees me as the person I want to be. I wish I could see that girl as clearly." It's a small moment, but it really struck me. On a recent episode that we did on love, I talked about how some of my favorite love stories and rom-coms are ones where the other person acts as a mirror, reflecting back who you are, but also who you can be. And that's one of my favorite themes. And I was wondering, just based on that bit that I read, if this is what love feels like to you.
2: To me, love is being with someone who challenges you to be that better person or that better version of yourself and who brings that out of you and who does show you what you can be and likes to help further your dreams and ambitions and sees your imperfections and doesn't try to gloss over them. So I think in this book, Ambrosia was really looking for someone who would hold up to her the version of herself that she wanted to be. I think part of the reason she loves to be with Adrian is because he sees her as the woman that she thinks she can be and and she wants to be that person. Looking back into the past tense scenes, it's also a reflection of that a little bit in her freshman year when she was infatuated with Kevin and she felt seen by him, but it was a little bit different. So she liked how she was reflected in his eyes back then. And in the present day, she likes how she's reflected in her husband, Adrian's eyes. And I think she's always looking for someone to hold up that mirror to herself so that she can see herself clearly because it can be so easy to lose yourself otherwise.
0: You explore a lot of that through Ambrosia in her female relationships as well, in her friendship. She says of Billy that Billy knows who she wants to be and who she is. And she loves both. Both of her, and that's important. And then also, Sully is a lot of what she can be. Flora is what maybe her family would want her to be. So she's always struggling with different kinds of relationships and different friendships. And your editor at Simon and Schuster, Karina, wrote in her arc letter: "What I love most about this novel is the way Laurie combines shocking twists with smart social commentary on gender and power dynamics and the dark complexities of female friendship." That is one of the huge strengths of this book. Why is that something you want to? Or, or was that intentional?
2: Yes, I always find female friendships to be such a rife area where there's so much that you can get into. And there's so many dynamics in groups of women or just friendships between two women. There's always that piece of a friendship that can go bad. And that's what I wanted to explore here. When Ambrosia gets to Wesleyan and she has Flora as her roommate, who's this sweet, outgoing girl, she immediately doesn't really want to be friends with her because she's sick of being the... The girl that everyone expects her to be from high school, that nice girl. And, you know, she was the nice girl in high school, sort of. And then she got cheated on and she kind of feels really bitter. And being nice is getting me nowhere. I'm not getting what I want from the world. And then she meets Sully and Sully is the complete opposite of Flora. And Sully just takes what she wants. She doesn't wait for anyone to give it to her or to give her permission. And Ambrosia just really needed that. At that point in her life, she met Sully at a time when she needed somebody to give her permission essentially to take what she wants instead of just politely asking or politely just backing away and I think that dynamic between them is I just found so interesting to write because she doesn't let anything mean too much to her and Ambrosia is a people pleaser and she immediately wants to become that one person that means something to Sally and that means doing all these things that she never thought she could have done and I think as horrible as the things she does are a lot of women would probably be able to relate to doing things out of character, maybe to stay in a friendship, especially when you're younger, and then realizing only after the fact when you're an adult that looking back on some of those teenage friendships that they might have been pretty toxic, but it's hard to realize when you're in one. I really wanted to write a friendship like that and run the spectrum of women from being what society would deem nice to what society would deem horrible in this Mm -hmm. book and have readers be able to sort of see themselves in not just one of the characters, but maybe more than one.
0: And Sully is... Not just taking what she wants, but she's like almost magnetic. Things just attach to her. And so Ambrosia sees that as something
1: to aspire to be like that and to get like that. As two lawyers and writers, we have come across very different reactions to the concept of fate versus free will, which is one of our favorite themes. And the lawyers we know tend to reject this idea that our futures could be written in the stars, and they believe they're in complete control of their lives. But we've talked to a lot of writers who are much more open to embracing these ideas of destiny or magic or intuition. One of the ways we try to connect to that, what we call our woo-woo side, is through astrology. And based on my careful research, otherwise known as my stalking of your Instagram, Mm -hmm. I know that you are a Leo and that your third born child was born this summer and is a Leo as well. I am a Leo, both a sun and a moon Leo, double Leo inside and out. And Corinne is a fire sign too. So we keep her in the club. But what I wanted to know is first, do you relate to being a Leo? And second, does astrology ever factor into your writing or character development. I
2: definitely a total typical Leo in so many ways. It's kind of uncanny sometimes if you look at astrology and look at yourself and how you fit those traits. I definitely fit those traits. It'll be interesting to see if my Leo daughter does too. (laughs) And the other interesting thing about my zodiac sign is I was born right on the cusp of the very first day of being a Leo. I would have been a cancer if I was born a day earlier. And it's funny, I have a couple of those traits too. So I find that really interesting I can't say that astrology's really come into my books yet, but it would be interesting to sort of classify what I think my characters would be based on that, because I do find it really interesting. I think I'd give Sully a Scorpio. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, definitely Scorpio.
0: Well, part of what we use it for is to let go of results a little bit and trust that something else is working with us or against us. That's our choice. Do you have any stories of fate or luck on your journey to writing or or publication that feel like more than just coincidence
2: yeah actually I find publishing so fascinating because it is so much hard work but a lot of things are about timing and luck as well so when I was querying this book my agent Hillary Jacobson she offered on the book and the first call that we had she said basically that she already (laughs) she was been waiting for a book like this and she already had a submission list basically ready because she was talking to editors knew what they wanted so it felt like fate that she was waiting for this book and we just clicked right away and it felt like it was meant to be. Yeah, it was one of those feelings where like she was just waiting for my book and I was just waiting for her because she's awesome. It was like Uh. one of those mind meld moments. I feel like I just ended up in the exact right position and it's been pretty wonderful ever since. I feel like so many things have to come into place for a book to find a a home with a publisher. I feel like everything just worked out so perfectly. I just feel really lucky that that it's all happening.
0: (laughs) We hear that across the board that it's such a balance between really hard work and isolating work, but then also teamwork and luck of getting it all done and out there.
1: So speaking of your sort of journey to being a writer, your website bio includes a pithy line that the most important thing you learned in journalism school was that you wanted to make things up for a living. So when did you start writing fiction and really taking it seriously?
2: I think around 2011, early 2012, I finally was really sick of myself just whining in my head about it. I really want to write, but I just wasn't taking it seriously. I'd start something, I'd give up. I'd convince myself that it was never going to get published. And why was I trying? Eventually, I just got really sick of myself and decided, okay, I'm going to try to write a book and see what happens. And I wrote a book that I thought was so good. <laughs> and looking back, it wasn't, but um, <laughs> and I didn't get, I didn't get agented. And that's totally fine. You know, it was not ready, but I learned so much from that book. I also just learned that I love writing. Writing, the act of writing and finding a schedule, getting disciplined about it and taking myself seriously and also just learning about the publication process because I had no idea how a book became a book. Just educating myself, making connections with other authors, doing some writing contests, I found a lot of confidence. I think that's something that every writer who's starting out to write for publication would probably agree with is that no matter how many books you write that will never see the light of day, they're never a waste of time because you learned something. Something, and you get better with each one. As long as you're learning something and improving, then you really can't feel bad about it.
0: Easier said than done, I think. (laughs) I mean, it's just you have to remind yourself of that, I think. The girls are also nice here is your first adult novel, but you have, as I mentioned in your bio, you have some YA novels under your belt. We interview a lot of debut authors, and they are in various stages of their career struggling with is this my only book? Am I ever going to have another idea? Am I ever going to get another chance at this? And I wanted to ask you for a little bit of advice on that front. Does it get easier? Do you try? the process more now? Do you feel like you have a rhythm with writing?
2: Those are excellent questions. I definitely trust the process now. I trust that even though something is super messy in its inception, that it's going to become something eventually. (laughs) And sometimes when I'm writing, I get that panicked feeling of being stuck and wondering, where is this going to go? Am I just going to have to go back to the start on this one? And I trust my subconscious a lot more now that what I'm writing is there for a reason. And I also don't plot my books. So that's part of the challenge for me is that I usually just start with a a hook and I write a little brief pitch for it. And then I I write myself into some corners, but now I do trust the process a lot more because I have these other books I've written so I can go back and say, okay, well, at one point in time, the girls are also nice here was a mess as well. (laughs) I managed to sort that one out. So I will say that it doesn't get easier
0: though because
2: I think part of the problem is, or it's not a problem, it's a good thing is that you are improving with each book. So you're harder on yourself. Mm
0: -hmm. and more
2: critical and it becomes more difficult to just free flow write and not self-edit but I try really hard not to as I'm going and I try to just get that first draft on paper and then at least then it's there and then you have something that you can edit and refine and pull out what you want to say from a lot of words that probably are going to get deleted but (laughs) I think it's every book's different too so some books might come easier and some some might be more of a struggle but after having three books published and then this book coming up I think think I feel at a point where I trust the process as messy as it might look sometimes.
0: <laughs> right. And I love that you said you trust your subconscious too. Like this is
2: what I need to be writing about for whatever reason it
0: is. I mean, we find that all the time.
1: So we love to read acknowledgements and yours beautifully illustrate what a collaborative effort writing for publication is. You thank editors, early readers, author, peers, friends, family members, many of whom are women, which we really love. So are there other complicated women that inspire you, ones you look up to or aspire to be like?
2: a couple books and authors early on in my journey really influenced what I wanted to write and gave me the courage to write it. And one of them was Gone Girl, (laughs) a Mm. classic, obviously. I remember reading it on a flight from Johannesburg to London, England. And I just, luckily it was a really long flight. I just could not put the book down. And I was like, oh my God, this is so different than anything I've read. And all these emotions are on the page that are not something I was used to seeing. And I was just so emboldened by it. And I just fell in love with that. And Amy Dunn is such a complicated woman who really paved the way, I think, for a lot of these unlikable women to become more mainstream in fiction. And another book that I absolutely love is Luckiest Girl Alive by Jessica Knoll. That one has so much going on with a typically unlikable protagonist who has a lot of ambition and a lot of qualities that may not be something that you're used to seeing. And those two authors are people I really look up to in my own fiction who gave me the permission to write what I wanted to write. You're in good company here. Yes. I managed to get Amy Dunn into
0: anything we talk about, including our Valentine's Day love episode. And of course, Bridgerton,
1: too. This is Corinne's favorite, absolute favorite, Gone Girl. So, yeah, the way she can work Amy Dunn into any episode is just pure genius. And we've covered Lucky's Girl Alive, too. So, those are two great ones.
0: But like you said, it was just the first time I'd ever seen anything yeah. like that. Emboldened is a great word. So, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about motherhood and writing. You're kids are about the same age as your books. Is that
2: right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have a three and a half year old, a two year old and a six month old.
0: So you were writing before.
2: I was writing before, but publication and babies have sort of happened all around the same time.
0: how do those things work together for you or if they don't do you try to keep them very separate
2: it's very busy but I'd say that it's just made me more disciplined with my time I look back on my child free self and just want to shake her a little bit because I'm like you had so much (laughs) free time what were you doing (laughs) exactly I'm like oh my gosh all I ever did was complain about how busy I was and now oh if I could only go back and laugh at that person so it's definitely all about carving out time and using the time that I have I, I don't usually get a day to just leisurely type away on my computer with a hot coffee beside me so it's mm-hmm. all about making the moments count so if I have half an hour while somebody's napping I'll take it or if I have a baby attached to me I'll take it mm-hmm. <laughs> if I have an hour at night I'll take it it's just about discipline and sometimes it's about not foregoing watching a tv show or doing something else obviously no social life right now because of <laughs> covid anyway right it just made me really disciplined with my time I feel like motherhood also brings out so many emotions that I think my writings become richer as a result. I'll probably look back and wonder how I did all this at the same time. But um, it's a balance. It's working. And I drank a lot of coffee. I love that.
0: But it is all about making those moments count. We interviewed Susie Yang and she was like, yeah, sometimes I won't write at all. And then I spend a whole weekend writing and I'm like, oh, that sounds wonderful.
1: We know, as Corinne said at the outset, that the TV rights to your novel have gone to the AMC network, which is responsible for one of our favorites, Mad Men, because it had some of our favorite complicated women on TV. And we've spoken to authors who have had complete involvement in their adaptation, like Rebecca Searle, and then others like Celeste Ng, who who really only had a consulting role when they adapted hers, and another group that sort of just watched the movie or TV show along with the rest of the world, like Paula Hawkins. So And Tia Williams, too. Yeah. I wrote the book. Now you guys do what you want with it. So where do you think you'll be in this spectrum of authors? And also, what's it like to imagine a second life for your book in a whole new form.
2: It is really, really cool to imagine and something so surreal. And it was a huge bucket list item when I was starting out. Just to be at this stage is just still a really surreal thing, especially with AMC since it is a dream. I'm also a huge Mad Men fan. I, Peggy's one of my favorite characters ever. So <laughs> to know that it's found such a great home is wonderful. And I am an executive producer as well. So wow. I hope to have you know some involvement, But I completely trust the process and the people. So it'll be really fun, I think, to see it come to life and hopefully to see it on the screen someday. I think that'll just be such a really cool experience. I can't even imagine watching something that I've written come to life through actors. It's just so cool to think about. It is.
0: It used to kind of be the book is always better, but adaptations have come a long way and the writers really take care with books now. And we have seen some amazing adaptations, even The Flight Attendant, Queen's Gambit. Little Fires Everywhere, it's next level. And maybe 10 years ago, you might be afraid of what they're gonna do to your book, but now it's like, oh, I can't wait to see what they're gonna do with this book. I loved it, and I can imagine even more. Our last question, we wanna ask you what you're loving right now. Are there books, TV shows, people that you're really into and our listeners might wanna
2: hear about? Uh, sadly enough, my TV life right now is limited to basically one day a week, and it, it is The Bachelor, so, uh-huh. <laughs> so that's my biggest gift. <laughs> guilty pleasure. I'm like obsessed with the whole franchise and it's, I used to be really embarrassed to admit that, but now I'm just like, Whatever. I, I love it. It's my, Monday you're not night. alone. A couple books that I've recently read and loved. I read a book called The Hunting Wives by Mae Cobb. It's out in May and it has a whole slew of unlikable women. It is just fantastic. So, I highly recommend that one. I've been lucky enough to read some books by some upcoming 2021 debut authors, which is one of the greatest things I think about being a debut author is connecting with other people. Another really great book that is sure to make everyone laugh out loud is Dial A for Aunties by Jessie Q. Sutanto. She has written something really fabulous with them. a ton of humor and a lot of complications. So that's a really fun one as well for those who want something humorous. I think we all do as well during this time. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what else. I'm reading Alison Wisdom's book, We Can Only Save Ourselves as well. And you guys interviewed her and mm-hmm. it's so beautifully written. I just I'm loving that one. Reading is sort of my escape right now after the kids are all in bed or if I'm up with the baby. I just getting into a a good book is sort of where I'm getting my sanity back. And do you feel like as a
0: writer, you also need to take in new reading and new stories to fill your tank and find your own creativity?
2: Yes, definitely. That's the number one thing. If I feel like the well is getting depleted, I just, if I start reading more, it just automatically feel more recharged. There's something about reading a lot of books and reading widely, not just in my genre, but other genres that really just leave me feeling creatively fulfilled and inspired to get back to my own work as well so I always find that if I'm feeling off then it's probably because I'm not reading enough
0: I'm the same way and it's funny I just remembered this Jessica Knowles had said she was feeling the same way and she pulled out a couple pages of Gone Girl and she was like okay I'm ready to go now Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Tell our listeners where they can find you, a website or social media, wherever you're most active.
2: I probably spend too much time on Instagram <laughs> under Lori Elizabeth Flynn there. And I have a website too, laurielizabethflynn.com. I'm on Twitter as well. My Twitter name is Laura Elizabeth. So L-A-U-R-E-L-L-I-Z-A-V-E-T-H. I am probably most available on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, those are where I tend to waste them this time I love hearing readers or reviewers or booksellers, librarians. It's so much fun to connect with everyone in this industry. It's so much fun.
0: It is. You know, you take it for granted when you're just a reader. You just read a book and you're like, oh, that was great. And you might talk to friends about it, but you don't think automatically to reach out to the author. But now that we've been even just doing this podcast, I'm like, we love to hear from people, even when they don't agree or when they have a suggestion. It's just really good to connect. It's
2: so true. It's such a passionate community of people who just love books. And I love the book instagram community and seeing gorgeous photos people take oh my gosh so creative oh it's so much fun it's just and it's such an honor when my book is one of them i'm just like this is so cool that somebody took the time to do that well the girls
0: are all so nice here is out now you will be shocked by a lot that happens but the characters really will stay with you thank you so much thank
1: you thank you so much we want to let you know we've launched a Patreon page where supporters can receive perks like bonus episodes and exclusive content.
0: Because Pop Fiction Women is our passion project, a place where we give women space to show up and offer in-depth analysis in the ways
1: we're used to hearing about male creators and their characters. We delve into creativity and psychology with a dash of astrology. And we have so much fun doing it. Just two friends breaking down books, movies, and shows like Normal People, bag, and I May Destroy You.
0: Every single aspect of this podcast, we do ourselves. From the preparation to the recording, from the editing to the social media promotion. So we're adding a Patreon platform because we want to keep making the show you love and hopefully expand it even
1: further. So please consider becoming one of our most complicated fans and contributing on Patreon.
0: To learn more, go to patreon.com forward slash pop fiction
1: women. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this
0: show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media.
1: Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at popfictionwomen or on Twitter at pop underscore women.
0: For more coverage of the women you love or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com and
1: keep it complicated.